Well, uh, I want to transition now to the Word of God, but before we fully jump in, I noticed that it happened again this week. Uh, what was it that happened again this week? Well, I was looking at the news, and there was a couple who was up in San Francisco in Marin County. They were there renting an Airbnb, and they went out for a hike. And as the story goes, they went out for a hike. They thought they knew where they were going. They had left their cell phones um, at home. They were only wearing just some light clothes because they thought it would be a short hike. But while they were on that hike, they lost their way. And they were lost for eight days. The rescuers had assumed at this point because of the temperature and the weather and the fact that these people didn't have much, that they had probably passed away or something horrible had happened to them. But in God's kindness and mercy, on Saturday, they were rescued. Um, they, were, they were found. And as the story goes with them, as it goes with so many other people, they said, you know, we were just out for a hike. We thought we knew where we were going, but at some point we lost direction. And in losing direction, we ourselves got lost. And it's not the only story that I've ever heard of that happening. We think as human beings that we have this innate, terrific sense of direction, that we would, we would never get lost. We'd always be able to, to stay the path, and, and if we got off the path, we could find our way back. But you know what humanity has shown time and time again? We don't. We don't have this innate sense of direction. People get lost all the time. Uh, being clear on where you are going and knowing how to get there is exceptionally important. Now... If we can blow it like that in the physical realm, in the mental realm, if we can lose direction, is there not the potentiality that we could also lose direction spiritually? Is there not the potential that Christians, that believers, that even the, the church can over time lose the sense of, of where we're going or what we're supposed to be, to be doing? And if history is any ind indication, this, this can happen. This can happen. We can lose our sense of spiritual direction. And it's because of that that we believe it's important to have seasons like this in the life of our church where we take a step back and we do something like what we're doing, this vision 2020 and beyond. Asking the question, God, um, what is your plan? What is your purpose for us? And, and how do we fit into that? Because we want to be exceptionally clear on where God is leading us and why. And, and the reality is we don't have to guess at it. God's word is abundantly clear. And so here's what we believe God's Word tells us when it talks about what is our mission. Where, where are we going as a church? It's pretty clear. We exist as a church. And when I say church, you think people, okay? Don't just think an institution. Just don't think a building. Think us. We exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe this to be our mission because we believe that every human being was created by God. You and I were created by God to make much of Him, to live for His glory. But because of the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, that's all due to our disobedience, we are incapable of fulfilling the life that God has for us. But, and this is where Jesus Christ comes into play, in and through Jesus Christ, we're actually able to fulfill that mission. Because he comes into the world to redeem, to rescue, and to save us, to restore us back to God. And so we have passages like 2 Corinthians 5.15. You're going to hear me say this passage literally almost every week because I want it drilled into us. 
2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all, that is Jesus Christ, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And then verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is, she is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What Jesus Christ does for us is he restores us to God. He frees us from the power and the penalty of sin so that we can live lives where we can make much of him once again. And that's why for our church as a vision that we have, not just for this year, but for every year that follows, here's our vision, to see the lives of the people of Valley Center and beyond transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ through us. You don't want to get lost in your spiritual journey. We don't want to get lost as a church we keep our eyes on our mission. We keep our eyes on our vision to glorify God by being and making disciples. Church, it's why we were created. It's the purpose for which we exist. But here's the thing. While this is true and this is what God has called us to be and do, how do we ultimately do it? How do we actually live out these lives of being and making disciples? What does that actually look like? Well, that's what we started looking at last week. That's what we're going to look at today. And then we got one more week to consider this. Now, before we, before we do that, before I even review what we looked at last week, I need to say something. Because in a message like this and in a series like this, I am going to be talking a lot from God's Word and showing you a lot of verses from the Word of God that talk about what we are to be, what we are to do as Christians. And there's a danger in that. Do you want to know what the danger is? I'm not going to tell you. You have to, no, I'm kidding. Here's the danger. The danger is you're going to hear Pastor Dave up here, and you're going to hear the Word of God, and the danger is going to be, oh, the Christian life is all about doing. It's all about behavior. It's all about doing this and doing that. When in reality, that's only part of the equation. You, you see, if, if you get focused on all the things that God's Word calls us to do, that then Christianity becomes kind of this like works-based religion. When in reality, all the things that we are called to do are an overflow of who we already are. So, so let me back up the train. Jesus Christ came into the world to save us and to redeem us from the penalty and power of sin. We are new creations because of what Jesus Christ has done. Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity is about what Jesus Christ has done. And everything that we do flows out of who we already are. And so I want that distinction to be clear because I'm making an assumption here today. My assumption that I'm making is that you believe that that you believe that you have been saved and redeemed through Jesus Christ, and so it's made you a new creation. And now all these passages that talk about what we are to do, what being and making disciples looks like, well, all of that is just simply God saying, this is who you are, and here's how you live it out. Are, are you tracking with me? Because if, if we don't get that, then you're going to hear me, and you're going to think, oh, well, Valley Star Community Church is this church all about you know, just like doing things and checking off boxes. And, and no, Valley Star Community Church is about worshiping God through Jesus Christ and because of who God is and what he's done for us, living these new lives. And so that's why last week, one of the first things that we said is when we consider what does it mean to be and make disciples, we as a church believe that foundationally being and making disciples means we gather for corporate worship. 
we gather for corporate worship. God has created us to live lives to make much of Him. And so God's Word calls us to gather as a church body, not just individually, for the act of worshiping Him. He first prescribed that for the Israelite community, and then in Acts chapter 2, we see the very first followers of Jesus Christ, after they are saved, Acts chapter 2 says that they met every day collectively for a period of time to worship and glorify God. We've been created to make much of God. God calls us to gather together collectively to express that worship at specific times, which is why the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is saying here? You and I have a responsibility in and through Jesus Christ to gather with others for the purpose of encouraging them in the faith. There is something that all the New Testament authors assume, but something that is never mentioned in the New Testament. Did you know that you won't find anywhere in the entire New Testament the command to gather one day a week to worship with other believers? You won't find that anywhere in the New Testament. That command is never given. Do you know why that command is never given? Because instead we have words like this in Hebrews chapter 10. And we have words like Acts chapter 2. See, the assumption of the New Testament authors was, if you're part of a church, you are meeting and gathering regularly and consistently. So much so that the author of Hebrews says, listen, some aren't even starting to meet daily and be wary of that. You need to be so committed to this and to worship with, with one another that I don't want you to neglect meeting together. The assumption of the New Testament authors is that worshipers of God gather for worship, so you don't need to be told to, guess what, worship together. Um, one of the most complicated rule books in all of sports is the golf rule book. If you read the golf rule book and don't, unless you want to go to sleep, it lists Basically, every situation that could happen on a golf course and how to respond with penalties or, or otherwise. But you know what's one thing you're never going to find in the golf rule book? Something that says this. Golf is played by human beings. Do you know why the golf rule book doesn't say that golf is played by human beings? Because it assumes that only human beings are what? Playing golf. Now, some of you might say, oh, I bet a monkey could play golf. No, a monkey can't play golf, okay? Like, he can pick up a club and he can try and hit it, but he couldn't follow the rules. The people of God are called to gather for corporate worship because when we do, God says, here's, here's what it's doing. You are telling and showing your heart that God is first and foremost. That's why you gather for corporate worship because you are telling and showing your heart what your heart needs to hear. God is first and foremost. It's also showing and telling your heart that the people of the church body matter Hebrews says, let us gather together, not forsaking the gathering as the habit of some, that we may encourage one another on to love and good deeds. Foundationally, corporate worship, what we're doing right now is about making much of God and encouraging one another and then doing the very thing for which you were created. Sadly, what has happened is we've made corporate worship about what we get out of it. 
And that's not a concern of the New Testament at all. God says, you gather because I'm supposed to be made much of, and you gather because without you here, they can't be encouraged. In fact, a friend of mine was talking about a conversation he had with a, a dear brother in the Lord, one who had actually been a pastor. And he said to me, he said, Dave, I was talking with my friend who had been a pastor. And, and he had gotten burned by a couple of churches and at least how he felt like he was treated. And then he tried to find some other churches to worship at. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, I've kind of stopped going to church because I just don't, you know, get anything out of it. And, and my friend very wisely looked at him and he said to him, he said, well, do you hear what you're saying? Do you hear what you're saying? By you not being there, the people are missing out because it's supposed to be you there to bless them. And, and yes, a blessing comes back to you, but, but they need you there. That's God's design. That's his purpose. And so that's why we as a church, we have this vision to see 100% of our body, 100% of our church family members attending, as we say, every week. We believe that this is God's best for us. We believe that this is what God wants of us. I, I'm not coming to you and I'm not saying, like, listen, if you don't attend every single Sunday, um, you're going to hell, right? Like, I'm not going to come and I'm not going to say that that forcefully. But here's something that I am going to say, because I love you. And, and I, re I really do love you. And so for me to even say this, it, it's, it's hard, but it needs to be said. According to this book, not David Wojnicki, there's no such thing as an, an obedient follower of Jesus Christ who does not gather corporately with other believers for worship when the means of doing so are available to them. So, so, so let me just say that again. There's no such thing, according to God's word, as an obedient follower of Jesus Christ who, who does not meet with other believers for worship when the means of doing so are available to them. Being and making disciples, one of the things that it means is that we gather for worship. And we as a church, we have an opportunity to grow in this. I shared this last week. 47%, 40% of our church members attend church, that is corporate worship, two times or less a month. So we have an opportunity to grow in this. But just to make this like realistic here, just to kind of show you why, why we're missing out on God's best, there's 365 days in a year, right? 365, yeah, th three, three, 60, well, you know, it's 366, we got a leap here, whatever. So 365, 366, that means that there's 365 mornings in a year, if I'm doing my math right, right? If there's days, then there's mornings. If, if I'm only gathering for corporate worship one to two times a month, that would mean that out of 365 mornings, I'm giving 12 to 24 to worship God. I just wonder, do you believe that that's what God wants for his people? I've given you 365 mornings every year, God says. You're giving me 12 to 24? I'm not a mathematician. But I think that that is something that we have an opportunity as a church in America to grow in. Because... Here's the reality. Our church isn't any different than, than the average churchgoers in America. It's not what God wants for us. It's not his best. That's why we're preaching on this, because we're losing our way. We're getting back on the path. Tracking? All right, let's go on. There's one other thing here that we're going to consider. There's actually two, but this next one comes fast and furious. We gather for corporate worship. 
but then there's something else we do. I'm going to state it, and I'm going to show it. We grow spiritually in our knowledge and application of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We gather for corporate worship, church, but then we also, we grow spiritually. If we're going to be and make disciples, then this is what disciples do. They grow spiritually in their understanding and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why I say that. Are you ready? Buckle up. 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This, along with a smattering of other New Testament and biblical passages, shows us that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are never to be contented in where we sit but are to continue to grow spiritually in our understanding of who our God is and what he has done for us. Now, as my dad was fond of saying, he said, it's good to know what the Bible says. It's better to know what the Bible actually means. And he'd also tag onto it, it's best to do what it says. <laughs> it's best to obey. So, so when I come and I say, hey, church, listen, we are to grow spiritually in the knowledge and application of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if we all know what I mean when I say that. Like, what does it mean to grow spiritually? I'm so glad you asked. Let's, let's talk about it, all right? Um, let me take a step back and explain something. If you're here today and you say to me, Dave, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he has saved me. You're saying something. What you're saying is that you know and believe that because of the work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, you are now freed from the power and the penalty of sin. In Jesus Christ, you have been declared before God the Father, freed from sin, so you now are righteous before him. Do you know what we call that theologically? Justification. We are justified before God because of what Christ has done, if we believe in him as Savior. Now, there's something, though, that's still going on. The presence of sin still exists, doesn't it? Sneaky little devil that it is, right? The presence of sin still exists in the world. Temptation exists. The flesh still exists. But guess what Jesus promises? Jesus promises that one day he will free us from the presence of sin. And then that day comes. That's called our, here's the theological term, our glorification. Justification. You and I are righteous before God right here, right now. Glorification. A day is coming when the presence of sin will be done away with. What happens between these two times? We have a theological word for that. Are you ready for it? You probably know it already. Sanctification. Sanctification, the process of living out more and more of who you already are in Jesus Christ. 
That's why we say we're called to grow spiritually. Because when Jesus Christ saves you, he doesn't just plug you into a computer, download an entirety of the knowledge of his word and every situation that you're going to face and show you how to live it out. Instead, Jesus Christ calls us to grow in knowing more and more of him. And so here's what, here's what spiritual growth looks like. I'm put this lower shelf. Really simple. Let's not overthink it. Spiritual growth looks like this. Knowing more of Jesus, by the way, these two things are for free, right? There's others that are coming. You've got to pay for those. No, these two are for free. Spiritual growth looks like this. Knowing more of Jesus a year from now than I do today. Is that simple enough for us? What does spiritual growth look like? It looks like I know more of Jesus a year from now than I do today. The second thing is that I am acting more like Jesus a year from now than I do today because of what I know of him. This is what God is calling us to when he calls us to spiritual growth. Can I look at the David Wojcik give a year ago and say, I've learned more of my Savior and what his life, death, burial, and resurrection means for me than I do today? Do I see that growth take place? This is what God desires of us. In fact, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this. Train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself in godliness. And then you got this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Check this out. I just want you to see, again, I'm not making these things up. I'm not trying to put onto us a weight I'm just coming and saying, this is what it really means to stay on mission, to not lose our way. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's he saying? What he's saying is this. You're justified. You've been declared righteous. You're freed from the power and penalty of sin. Your salvation now work it out. Put it on display. Live out who you are in Jesus. Oh, and then, oh, by the way, look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not doing it on your own. God is going to come alongside of you. He dwells in you. You have all the resources necessary to continue to grow in and through him. Too many people, I believe, look at their Christian life like somebody who Let's say I bought a person a brand new iPhone, which would be crazy because they're really expensive. But I bought them a brand new iPhone. They're like, oh, thanks for the iPhone. And then like a week from now, I go back and I'm like, how do you like the iPhone? It is amazing. It tells time perfectly. Did you know that? Yeah, have you made any calls with it? Calls, what? Have you ever checked the weather? Like, any emails? Did you text anybody? No, I just, I just use it for a clock. That's what I use my phone for. I'd be like, give me that back. You shouldn't have that. That's sometimes how people view their Christianity. I've been freed from the penalty and power of sin. I have this new life. How am I using it? We are to grow spiritually. Now, now how do we do that? What does that look like? Three things, really quick. First, listen, we're responsible for our spiritual growth. You're responsible for your spiritual growth. That's the very first thing. Have you owned your spiritual growth? 
You see, I and other pastors and elders are called to help equip the saints, to provide instruction and for teaching. But at the end of the day, we are responsible for our spiritual growth. In the way that a farmer who's been given a field and given the tools and the resources to plant a crop has those tools and has those resources, doesn't do anything with them, comes back a year later and, and says, nothing grew this past year. Well, did you plant the seeds? Did, did you do the work? Well, no. What did you expect would happen? Nobody can make you do that. You, you have to engage in it. The same thing. That's what he's saying. Work out your own salvation, he says. You have to own that. How do we own it? You pursue knowing Jesus. You pursue knowing Jesus. What we mean by that is, is, you, is you invest yourselves in those things where you're going to learn more of him. Bible studies, connection groups, discipleship groups, adult Sunday school classes. All of these things exist to help us grow to know more of Jesus. But it's not just that I want to pursue knowing more of Jesus. It's also that I want to help others grow in knowing more of Jesus. Part of what makes us grow is when we pour ourselves into others in helping them grow. We don't just make it about us. In fact, next week we're going to see the importance of this all the more. But we invest in others to help them grow. Listen, church family, we grow spiritually in our knowledge and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our calling as a church, to live out our mission. This is what we are engaged in. And so a vision that we have is to see 100% of church members regularly engaged in a connection group, a Bible study, a discipleship group, a Sunday school class. We want you coming to church on Sunday for sure. We want us to, to gather for corporate worship, but, but don't make this the, the be-all, the end-all of your Christian growth. There are things that I cannot do that God hasn't intended this time to be to help with your growth. God instead provides other means by which you and I can continue to grow. And if we as a church really buy into this, then we're going to use every means available to us so that we would know more of Jesus a year from now than we do today, and we would be acting more like Jesus a year from now than we do today. We gather church, we grow church, but then there's one final thing for today. It's probably the most simple. It's probably the most obvious. If these first two things are more about what being a disciple is, then this next thing is really about what making disciples looks like. You probably already know what it is. If you're, if you're one of those eager beavers, you've already probably filled it out. Are you ready? Here's what it is. Last thing today. We go into the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We gather for corporate worship. We grow spiritually, but we don't leave it there. We go. We go into the world. Why? Because here's the reality. Every person was created by God to bear his image. We can't do it. We can't do it because of the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, but in and through Jesus Christ. He has made a way for us to live the lives we were made for. And so this is why, church, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, in fact, turn here in your Bibles. I want, you just, I want you to see this. I want you to maybe even underline this, mark this if you've never done it. Romans chapter 10 says, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, made new creations. Verse 14, 
But how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, what's Paul saying there? What's Paul saying to us? He's saying something very clear. He's saying something very simple. Listen, people are saved. The only way that they are saved is through you and I going and proclaiming Jesus to them. I said this a while ago, and it bears repeating. I don't remember who I first heard it from, but it is always stuck in my mind. God has chosen us to save souls. We are his plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. People can only live lives to the glory of God in and through Jesus Christ, but they can't live to the glory of God in and through Jesus Christ unless they hear of him. And so he's not sending dolphins, and he's not sending donkeys, and he's not sending monkeys or trees or birds or whatever. He is sending us, which is why Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. And so we go into the world sharing the message of the gospel. That's what being and making disciples means. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we would declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. We go with the message of the gospel. To me, it's so simple that this is what we should be about. It makes perfect sense that if we have the message of life, we should tell others about it who don't know that message. But I'd be foolish to think it was that simple because there are some things that hinder us as we look to fulfill this. If we're really honest with ourselves, it, this, this while we can intellectually acknowledge it and say, yeah, people need to hear about Jesus, people need to hear about Jesus, I wonder who's going to go and tell them. <laughs> because we're afraid. Fear's a real thing. Probably the number one reason why people don't go and share the gospel with others is because what are they going to think about me? In today's culture, if you start proclaiming about Jesus, people are going to think maybe you're racist, you're, you're homophobic, you're against immigration or whatever it is because they've lumped Christianity in with certain political parties and, and certain philosophical ideas. In fact, I was listening to two guys um, talking recently in a podcast, neither of them believers. One of them came out of the church, actually was going to school to be a youth pastor. The other guy was a musician, and they were talking about Christianity. And in their mind, Christianity was, was this message that, that was all about just getting things from, from people. And, and, and it had no idea that, that Christianity holds out the hope of the message of the life we were meant to have. And so we're afraid to share the gospel. People might think we're crazy. Sometimes we don't share because we lack the knowledge. In fact, that's something that I've heard people say to me. Something that actually concerns me is when I've had Christians come to me and say, Dave, I just don't know. I just don't know what to say. Now, we might lack experience, but, but if you don't know what to say to somebody in order that they could know about Jesus Christ, do you want to know why I would be afraid for you or I'd, or I'd fear for you? Because if, if you don't know what to say to somebody in order that they might be saved, it begs the question, do you yourself even know what you're believing in in order to be saved? Does, does that make sense? 
And so I don't want to disparage anybody. Maybe, that, that, maybe that's you. But you can see pastorally, my concern would be, wow, you say you're a Christian, but you don't even know what the message is that somebody would need to hear in order to be saved. And sometimes we just simply lack experience. And now that one I get. You know, you, you, you don't know exactly how to say it. It's not that I don't know what to say. It's that I don't know how to say it. In light of these things, let me close with four things that I pray would encourage you as you think about going out with the gospel. Here's the first thing. It's probably the best one out of the four. Maybe I should have it as last, but for you, I'll make it number one. Remember the presence of Jesus. Remember the presence of Jesus. You and I, when we go to share the gospel, we never go at it alone. When we're afraid of what people might say or do to us, know that Jesus goes with you. Jesus would say this. As he would give the command to go and make disciples, Jesus would say, and behold, I am with you on Sundays between 9.30 and 12 o'clock. Is that what Jesus says? He says, and behold, I am with you always. He's given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. So we're never alone. When we go to proclaim the gospel, he is with us. Paul said this, if we believe Jesus Christ is in us, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. I'm afraid, what will people do? I might lose friends. God, not only will God be with you, but he will continue to provide for you. And besides, what can man do to you? If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. You're never alone. But then there's also this. When you're afraid of what to say, recall what is at stake. Recall what is at stake. Jesus would say these words. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What's Jesus saying? These people are going to go to hell if they don't know me. There's an eternity that they're going to spend separated from me. How can they hear unless someone goes? Paul would say it in ways that I, can I be totally honest with you? Paul would say it this way, and it's hard for me to get to this place, but this is where Paul's heart was at. He said to the Romans, I wish I myself were accursed. Do you know what he says when he says that? He's saying, I wish I myself were damned to an eternity in hell if it meant that my brothers, the people of Israel, would be saved. That's what Paul says, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Those are powerful words. He knows what's at stake. Paul got this. Um, this past week, I came across a statistic. Let me see if I, I don't know if I still have it here. Somehow it might have gotten lost. All right, you're going to have to visualize it. Oh, somebody stole it. All right, I had it every other hour. I don't know where it went. Um, I was reading a research recently, and it was talking about Christians in the different seasons of life, from millennials all the way up, you know, to the older, let's just say. <laughs> Careful, I know. And, and so, and it said this, and it, was, and it was a survey of Christians in all these different seasons of life, and here's what it said. All of them, 95% or above in every age category, believed that sharing their faith was part of what it meant to be a Christian. But millennials, 47% of them said 
they did not feel it was appropriate to share their faith with somebody of another faith in order to convince them to become part of their faith. Now, every other age bracket, only 20% believed that. 95%, everybody believes that we should share our faith, but something's happened with the most recent generation where they say, you know what, we, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, buy, we don't want to offend them. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, if they're a Muslim, let them be a Muslim. If, if, if they're a Jew, let them be a Jew. If they're a Buddhist, let them be a Buddhist. God says, recall what's at stake. Buddhists go to hell. Muslims go to hell. Hindus go to hell. Jews go to hell. Only those who profess faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. This is what's at stake. And so if, if we buy into this, then we say, well, well, but I still, I'm not, I'm not so good at sharing the gospel. Well, rehearse the message. Rehearse the message. Peter says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Paul says to, Thim to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You say, Dave, I, I just don't know quite how to present it. Rehearse it. One of our vision goals for, for 2020 and beyond is this, to see 100% of the members of Valley Center Community Church um, trained in evangelism, to have gone through our Evangelism 101 class. Do you remember our 101 class? We've done it at different times. It's this class where, where you are very simply given the tools of how to share your faith. If you don't know how to do it, don't sit back and say, I just don't know how to do it. Join, become part of one of these classes so that you can be trained in this because if we're called to go and make disciples, then we need to know how to do it. And, and, and when you rehearse this, and when you practice this, you'd be shocked at how simple it actually is. It, a pastor that I know of, he, he tells this story of an experience he just had recently at Baltimore International Airport. He was flying on a trip, and he came up to the TSA security line. I, I just went through one of those. I hate those things, right? I need, I need to get the fast pass or whatever it is. But this TSA security person, um, as he was putting his bag down as the pastor was putting his bag down, he noticed that the TSA person corrected his bag, and he saw the TSA person had a cross on his ring, and so the pastor said, oh, I, I like your cross, and so the guy's bag went through, and it, and it got flagged, and so it got pulled off to the side for a second, and, and listen to what the TSA worker did. This is what happened. He gets pulled to the side, and he's going through his bag, and he says, yeah, the ring, it means I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, in my job, one of the things that we're worried about is dynamite. But do you know where the word comes from? It's the Greek word dunamis, which means power. As a Christian, I know that all the power belongs to God. That's why he sent Jesus. So while I'm doing my job, I know that he's doing his. That's where I put all my trust. It belongs to him, and he's here with us. 30 seconds, the pastor said. 30 seconds, this guy shared the gospel with me. Now, this pastor was already saved, but he, but he couldn't believe it. This was someone, I mean, you know those security lines. You know how much time he said. He said, listen, I knew this guy wasn't going to get into an in-depth discussion with me about theology, but he took even the 30 seconds he had when I showed even an inkling of interest to communicate Jesus Christ. Wow. What's your job? <laughs> what, what do you do? This is an illustration. If we rehearse it, if we're prepared, we can give that defense. But then there's one last thing here. Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. Dear church family, 
one of our deepest desires as we go forward into 2020 and beyond, as we consider going and sharing the gospel with the lost, that we believe that that's what God has called us to, that it would start with us praying consistently and regularly for the lost, friends, family, and neighbors amongst us. You see, why would we expect to ultimately engage the lost or, or just to see the, the fruit from going and sharing if we're not first calling upon God to do the work in the hearts of those that we would share the gospel with? It was literally one year ago today that I shared a message similar to this. I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't realize that until this week. And I posed this question that I think is worth posing every week. If God answered all your prayers from this past week, giving you everything you asked for in prayer, how many people would have gotten saved? Do you remember when I asked that question? Do you know what that question is saying? How seriously do we take the lost friends, neighbors, family members amongst us? How serious are we in praying for them? Our desire is to see 100% of our church body with an active prayer list for the lost. To be lifting up our friends and our neighbors because if we believe that our vision is to see the lives of the people of Valley Center and beyond transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ, it starts with us praying for the lost. Church, we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we look to live that out, so that we don't get lost, we gather for corporate worship, we grow spiritually in our knowledge and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we go sharing the message of the gospel to the lost. We got one more to look at, but that's for next week. May God help us stay on track with the mission he's given us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you, we come knowing that everything that we've talked about thus far this morning isn't about us doing so that we would be loved and accepted by you. It's about us living out the lives that we have been redeemed and saved to live in and through the power of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, May you lead us, may you guide us into a deeper understanding of these things so that we as a church a year from now would look differently than we even do today because we have been all the more clear on and have all the more embraced the mission, the vision that you have for each of our lives and for our church collectively. So we pray now and we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.